What I want to talk to you about today is the heart, and I'm going to talk to you about it in the context of a whole bunch of laws. One of the things that many of you know is one of the rabbis that I enjoy is a guy named David Foreman. And he has a metaphor that he uses to talk about this. I will borrow his metaphor, although I'm not borrowing anything else. So just the metaphor, the rest of it's all mine, which is to say he's not to blame if you don't like it. And his metaphor is imagine you're on an airplane and sitting next to you is a person and that person looks at your seats or whatever and says, explain to me what is this religion of yours? And you say, huh. Well, we got 613 laws, and this person who is probably of the liberal persuasion says, well, I believe in love. I don't believe in laws. I I follow my heart, and my heart leads me the way I need to go, and I don't need all these laws. And this person sounds really high-minded. I follow my heart. I mean, my heart leads me and so forth, and, you know, these dry laws. And the problem is... God has an opinion of the human heart. And I will read from Scripture what God's opinion of the human heart is. You know where the first mention is, right? Genesis 6, verse 5, just before the flood. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Fast forward to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Unless your friend says, well, yeah, that's that Old Testament stuff. That's the law. Yeshua has some words to say about it, too. And I'm in Matthew 15, starting at 16. And he said... Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The Bible doesn't have anything good to say about the human heart. It just doesn't. So as you're sitting next to your friend or your acquaintance or whatever it is, and this person is getting, you know, all high-minded and says, well, I follow my heart, you can sort of look at them and back away, you know, because you never know what's going to happen next. But understand that there is no particular virtue to following your heart. In fact, follow your heart is perhaps the worst advice that you can give someone really don't want to follow your heart. If you look at the world today, and the world right now is going through a period that started back in the 15th century and has now sort of come to a crest, which is liberalism or following your heart. Look at what's happened from following your heart. Look at any place in the world where liberalism has held sway. They're all kind of pest holes inhabited by people who are very high-minded and following their heart. Look at Detroit. Look at California. Look at France. Look at any place. The results of following your heart are not only personally wicked, they are societally wicked. It isn't good. Understand, however, that love is the province of the heart. 
they have it right when they say the heart is the seat of this love that I feel. And the, and the heart is, in fact, where love abides. And what God does is he knows the heart because he created it. He knows it's wicked. And so what he's done is he said, you know, this heart that is in you, which is naturally wicked, can be trained. It can be taught. It can be educated. It can be changed. So how do we do that? I mean, again, God's the one that made us. I figure that he probably understands how to train us. And the way he trains us is with laws. And it is in fact the case that if you follow the laws of God, what happens is your heart gets used to doing good things. And what happens is eventually your heart changes. So what God says is, I'm going to give you a bunch of laws, and through those laws I'm going to train your heart to be something that is pleasing to me. Whereas your liberal friend who doesn't necessarily believe in the Bible, or maybe he's got some biblical sound bites, isn't really training his heart, it's simply following his emotions. And as we said, that's not good. One of the things about the heart is it will always get what it wants. So the thing that you desire in your heart, your feet will run to. And you can grit your teeth and say, I'm not going to do that and so forth, but eventually your heart will overcome. It just will. So what God does is he gives you a whole bunch of laws to bind your feet so that your heart can catch up. Let's take a look at a practical example. And there's lots of them in today's Torah portion. But what I want to talk about is the stranger. And right now, this is kind of a hot-button issue in the United States. Because we have strangers from all over the world coming in. In fact, I've seen an editorial that quotes from Leviticus. This is an editorial in favor of unlimited immigration. Leviticus 19.33. And by the way, it's all over the Torah. He is not cherry-picking. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land you shall not do him wrong you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you and you shall love him as yourself for you are strangers in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God and that was in today's Torah portion too wasn't it so our friend sitting next to us who says well your Bible says you got to love the stranger you got to not mistreat them. So as we're opening and letting everybody in, we're just following our heart, which your Bible says, right? No. What the scripture says is, you may not oppress the stranger. Now, the scripture also says that people are tribal. We just are. And when you have tribalism, the people that are in the tribe, us and them, it just is the way we're wired. It can be good and it can be bad. It can go either way. So within the tribe, it encourages you to treat people in your tribe here, treat them kindly, do good things for them and so forth. It teaches you to treat people outside of your tribe with some degree of suspicion. Not really sure about those people. Now, we may come to find that they're really fine people and we like them, or we may come to find that they're not and we don't. But the point is, the way we are wired 
is us and them. And again, that's the way God made us. So what does God say about it? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. No Amorite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from the Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. And let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering. What does that have to do with strangers? Everything. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among you. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off, his iniquity shall be on him. So it looks like whatever the law is, there's one law. And everybody who is wanting to join the tribe, as you would say, is subject to that same law. In other words, if you come in, you don't get to bring your own set of laws. And, oh, by the way, there isn't any obligation to bring someone in whose set of laws is antithetical to your own. But, once you bring them in, you must treat them as the native-born. You are not allowed to impress them, you are not allowed to cheat them, you are not allowed to enslave them, anything else. You must treat them as the native-born once they're in. Now, let's pop up to what we're dealing with today, which is this national clash that we have over immigration. And what I will suggest is once someone comes in, he is subject to the laws of the nation. And the law can look at him and says, um, you're not here legally. You've got to go back. Now, we're not going to enslave you. We're not going to mistreat you. We're not going to do any of that kind of stuff. But the law that we have says this, and the law applies to you, so this is what's going to happen. And by the way, that same law would apply to anybody native-born. So what you have is somebody has cherry-picked and quoted correctly Scripture out of Leviticus. Wait a minute. You believe in the Bible. The Bible doesn't allow you to mistreat people. You've got to accept them. Well, that's not what it says. It says that you have to treat them the same way you would treat your brother. You must love them as you love yourself. That's very clear. And by the way, all of this also was in today's Torah portion. Because it says, when you have a stranger among you, you can't mistreat them because you were a stranger in Egypt and they mistreated you, and I want you to remember what that was like, and I don't ever want you to do anything like that to anybody else. But that doesn't say that you have to invite anybody who wants to join your tribe, your city, your state, your nation. And God specifically says, Moabites, Ammonites, Amorites, you don't want those people among you. Now, if they are among you, you can't mistreat them. But you don't want them among you. 
And so what happens is liberalism destroys its own nest. Because as the policies of liberalism accumulate, things go downhill. And what happens then is liberals flee the mess that they have made. You have migration from California to Texas, from California to Colorado. So as they mess up their own place, they come. And what they do is they bring the attitudes that messed up the place that they were in. And I'm not suggesting that we have to turn Californians away at the border. (laughs) Although during the Dust Bowl, they had border people in California turning Okies away. And again, I'm not advocating that. I'm just reciting some history. But the point is, people bring with them their hearts. And so when someone comes from somewhere else, what's important is that you get to know his heart. And you can't get to know everybody's heart. But what you can do is you can look at what they have created where they were and decide whether or not you want that where you are. Now, when everybody talks about diversity, which is sort of the mantra, what they're talking about is superficial diversity. You want different color skin, you want different nationalities. What they don't allow is diversity of the heart. They don't allow diversity of thought. The only diversity that's allowed is superficial. And when you say diversity, everybody thinks, oh, wow, Cinco de Mayo and burritos and you know, Thai food and curry and all that. And all that's wonderful. I love it all. But that's superficial. What you're more interested in is the attitudes of the heart that they bring with them. And the only way you can find that out is by looking at where they came from, at least initially. And once they come, the whole idea is there's one law, and everybody abides by it. That's the problem we're having right now with Muslim immigration. They're coming here and they're saying, we don't like your laws. We want our law. Well, the Bible doesn't support that. So if somebody is following his heart, you need to figure out what is in his heart and where that heart is leading him. Whether his heart has been trained in the way of God or whether his heart is somewhere else. Simply following your heart, as I say, is bad advice in general. As I say, I just used immigration here as an example. I could have used putting a parapet around your house. There's dozens of laws that we read about today. I just happened to pick one as an example because I have a short time to talk. I could have used any of them. And the whole deal there is all of these laws are intended to train your heart. Now, I'm going to go to another metaphor here that I've used a lot of times. Tablets of stone are plan B. Last week's Torah portion, when God went back and forth with Moses as his emissary, What that was was a betrothal of marriage between God and the nation Israel. And the purpose of the consummation of a marriage is that the husband gives seed to the wife who then nurtures that seed and brings forth new life. That's the feminine function. She takes the seed and she then brings forth life with that seed. And so what God intended to do as Israel stands at the foot of the mountain is God intended to speak his word, which is seed, into the heart of his bride. 
And the intention then was the bride was to take that seed and bring forth life. Rivers of living water were supposed to flow from her belly. That's the object of the exercise. The bride said, stop. If we hear any more, we're going to die. Moses, you go talk to him, find out what he's got to say, bring it back to us, and we'll do what he says. That's when God decreed tablets of stone, which is a metaphor for hearts of stone. Most of you heard this because it's one of my favorite things, and so you heard it a lot, but it's true. Carrying the Word of God written on rocks is the wrong thing to do. What it's supposed to be is the Word of God is supposed to be written on the human heart. And with that seed in your heart, you are supposed to bring forth rivers of living water out of your belly, which is a feminine function. Boys, girls, men, women, we're feminine to God's masculine. What I'm going to read to you is the New Covenant, and it's lots of places. It's in Deuteronomy 30. It's also in Jeremiah. I think I want it out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So what's the purpose of the nation Israel? It is to take the knowledge and the word of God and it is to spread it to the rest of humanity. And God said, I would really rather do that because I'm just blessing your socks off. And everybody can see how wonderful it is to be with me. But, if you don't follow my word, and you profane my name among the nations, we're going to do it the hard way. Which means that you're going to do it in exile. And what God is saying here in the New Covenant is, I am going to bring you back from exile, which I sent you into because you were not following my word, and because you weren't following my word, my name was profaned among the nations. In other words, if those who are called by his name are not acting like it, what the world sees is, who has to follow this God? Even the people who say they believe in him don't do it. And if that happens, what happens is you get made an example of because he is going to glorify his name. So picking it up now in verse 24, Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Notice the central thing there is a heart transplant. Because what happens at Sinai is the people reveal that they have hearts of stone and what God has to do is he has to take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh because it's only a heart of flesh that can have the words of God properly written upon it. So 
as you're sitting next to your liberal friend who is following his heart, understand that you are a heart in training. You are following as best you can the laws of God. And those laws of God are designed by God to train your heart, to move it from a heart of stone toward a heart of flesh. That's what they're designed to do. But understand that ultimately it's only the hand of God that is eventually going to take and circumcise your heart. That's how it's called in Deuteronomy, circumcising your heart. I mean, there's there's lots of metaphors for it. But it's only the hand of God ultimately when the Messiah returns that is going to do the heart transplant on you. You're going to struggle all your life walking properly in the ways of God. And that's okay as long as you're struggling. It's only when you give up struggling and say, I'm just going to follow my heart the way it is, that you're in real trouble. But don't get conned by people who say that they are somehow superior beings because they're following their hearts while all you're doing is following rules. That's not true. The rules are designed to transform your heart. Et ta